following podcast is a production of The Network. Check us out on BICBP-radio.com. The Tip of the Cap podcast is brought to you by Stinger Sports. Stinger Sports makes high-quality gear for the player who expects more for their money. Visit them today at www.stingerwoodbats.com and use promo code TIP OF THE CAP, all one word, for 10% off your next order. Stinger Sports. Look great. Feel great. Play great. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to a brand new episode of Tip of the Cap Podcast. I, as always, am Derek Jazz. Joining me today, a return guest, one of my favorite people in the baseball world, Chris Gresham. What's up, buddy? Hey, man. How you doing? I appreciate oh, the good. intro. Good to be back. Oh, good to have you. It's been a while. Uh, last time we were in your office downtown. Now we're doing it over Zoom because, you know, Zoom has made things easier for us. Well, looks like a... Uh, True. Oh, True. There we go. I appreciate the re-invite. Yeah, no problem, man. Uh, had a little bit of a technical snag there, but we seem to be back on track. So uh, we got some big news from Mr. Gresham. Um, he making a little bit of history over here, huh? A little bit. Um, it's kind of by default, but still news nonetheless. Um, I became a coach at Uville College, which was a D2 program effective March 2020 which makes me the first black division two coach in the Western New York area. So it's a milestone and um, made it happen sooner than expected. Um, I was going to um, try to leave Hilbert for the same, for the very reasons, just more convenient right now. Uh, Duval's campus for early practice is literally on the way to work and our home games are right at uh, the Northtown Center, which is, uh, you know, five minutes from home. So it was a good fit there. It's just then that the need for me at uh, at Uville presented itself sooner than the, you know, for next season opportunity was to was there to leave, uh, and I did. Um, and, and as I told the guys at Hilbert, I addressed them all uh, at, at a practice of theirs to let them know. There comes a time in life and everyone faces this where you have to be selfish, even though it may disappoint people. And there were players there who I wanted to honor the commitment to coach them. Uh, but the move uh, in between semesters was right for me. It fit in every aspect. Uh, and then there was the bonus of, of making history. Absolutely. And, you know, that's that's something that does you know, it does get lost in translation a lot of times when, you know, coach, well, like us as coaches talk about, you know, honoring commitments and stuff like that. And unfortunately, as you get older, that's not so cut and dry. And, you know, you see it all the time in the, uh, in the pro sports world about, you know, the conversation of a guy taking a quote unquote hometown discount to stay with the team that drafted him versus going and, and, you know, getting that big payday, you know, somewhere else. And this, you know, for, for different reasons, it's not, it's not in that realm, but like, you know, you had to do what was right for you. And at the same time, it provided you with an amazing opportunity. It did. It did. So that's, that's awesome to hear. And I, uh, I'd like to congratulate you formally and in person face to face over zoom uh, on the new gig and the, the hat looks good. I like it. It's a good look for you. Thank you, brother. Appreciate it. You know, and I got a, I uh, got a, got a little special place in my heart for the Duville color scheme. You know, the red, black, and white kind of, kind of speaks to me a little bit. So yeah, me too. I mean, I got my start at Inferno. Um, and you joined, uh, in fact, that'll lead us right into our next story because we sure were will. playing, <laughs> we 
we were playing summer ball together in the men's senior baseball league. I'm obviously much your senior, but um, I just still remember there was a, our, our book we'll calling the manager who remained nameless. Um, I was out coaching third base. My arm was uh, kind of, it took a dump. So I, I wasn't playing that game, but I had to go out and coach third base and we were down by a run and we got a runner over to third base with, I think one out. Um, and I got the sign from the, the coach who was like, it, it was a suicide squeeze. And I had to think twice about it because you were up and I've seen you hit, you know, we've, we did cage work together. We did a whole bunch of stuff and I'm like, yeah, we're set here. He's going to hit a bomb. If he doesn't hit over the guy's head, at least we score the run to tie the game. Right. Bunting was not in my mind at all. Next thing you know, that not only a squeeze, but a suicide squeeze sign came in and I had to think about it. I signed it in and you had to think about it. And sure enough, they threw the first pitch. It was either up and away or low and away. There was no way you were getting it down. It was easy out at the plate. And then the very next pitch, you raked it to center, which would have been the fly ball that we needed uh, to tie the game. And instead we, we go home with an L and needless to say, I was livid, you were livid, and, um, you know, it wasn't my game to call, but I certainly would have, wouldn't have called Bunt in that situation, which, again, is our topic. Uh, but I want to hear from you and your thoughts on that before we go into the Bunting topic. So uh, especially now to, to put some, some context on that, here, here was me, uh, 18 years old, playing – in two leagues, I was playing in a, in an 80 or 21, depending upon the day and under uh, metal bat league through Lancaster. And then I was playing with you guys, which at the time the league was 27 and up with five underage exceptions. And I was one of those five. Um, and actually a couple guys that I still play against in that same league were on that team. Uh, Doug Whitehead comes to mind and, yep. you know, had, had a lot of like our young guys were not small. It was all big dudes. And, you know, me and Doug, we, we, we were hitters, you know, that's, that's where we were. So, you know, when I, when I get the bunt sign, I'm, I'm looking down like, really? We're wait, we're like, we're actually running a squeeze here. Like I've, I've always been that dude that I can, I can bunt. I actually have always taken pride in my ability to bunt because to me, it's a hidden weapon. Um, you know, that, that a guy of my size can do that well, and it can put pressure on a defense in a way they don't expect. But in that situation, I'm like, really like I'm, I'm i think i was hitting number five at the time and you know the couple guys behind me like I, I was swinging a good bat that day the guys behind me not so much and i'm like you know like what happens here like what if there's so many things that can go wrong as opposed to just, you know a single ties it with a runner on first you know a, a deep shot ties it with a runner on second a fly ball ties it with nobody on and a you know clean bases like there's so many other options here and you know, being the guy that I was and being raised the way I was, you know, it's okay. I was told to bunt, let's bunt. And I, I remember the pitch. It was in the other batter's box. I dove across the plate to throw the bat at it, missed. And, you know, the catcher took one step out, caught the ball, and the guy was dead to rights at the plate. And yep. I'll never forget the, the very next pitch was just a, a ball that was absolutely grooved. And I put a good charge into it. And it would have beat the center fielder over his head had we had a runner on third because he would have been playing for the tag up. 
Exactly. And that, that was one of the things like you smoked that ball. Cause I remember off the bat. And then when the guy caught it, I remember saying that was the tying run. If, if we still had our guy on third base, that was the tying run. And again, I put that team together uh, partially like, you know, You know, in terms of who our options were, you were one of them. And uh, um, I know a couple other guys brought in guys, but you were my choice to be on the team because you could hit. And um, just so you know that about 30 minutes after that game, I had to stop and get some gas for my vehicle. And I got a call from the, the coach at that time. And at that point, I didn't care. I laid into him. I'd laid into him. I said, there's no way we should have squeezed in that situation with him up. And and he did say, what you said is that the guys behind you really weren't swinging a good bat. But I said, it didn't matter if they were swinging a good bat. He was, and that run was going to plate somehow, you know? And, and so to our topic, we, I mean, I think about that quite a bit. Um, and we just had to relive that moment in our lives. Um, but we, we learn from it. Uh, but the point is that bunting has its place. Like you said, um, when that, when someone tweeted about that, uh, you know, you, you won a championship um, having bunted against a, a flamethrower and it, it worked to your advantage. Well, those are the times when you do stuff like that, but when the pitcher is not overmatching your hitters, and you get a guy on third with none out or one out, third with one out. Um, that wasn't would necessarily be the time because they knew something was up because of the hesitation from me and from you and receiving the sign. So that that pitch was unhittable, yeah. and that was the first pitch isn't a time to call that in that situation if it has to be called. But nonetheless, that was not a situation to be bunting. However. Uh, there are some changes in the tides right now uh, where, you know, they're not, if you were up at the plate now, they're certainly not going to give you an opportunity to, uh, to groove a pitch. Um, so we might have to do the element of surprise there because they're going to try and put it, bring it in on your hands. Uh, if he thinks it can beat you in or throw it outside, but, you know, um, again, that's on the head coach, but there are situations when bunting, you know, is, uh, appropriate. Um, I know it's your show and you asked the questions, but I want to ask you one. What are your thoughts on bunting with runners on your two, your first and second, your leadoff and second guy get on base and there's no out and you're down by one or more, let's say one or two runs. Your third guy's up. Do you bunt? And you said there were no outs? No outs. I'll tell you what, I... That, that would be something depending they would depend on how my number three guy swinging it you know if I if I got a guy who's just been torching the baseball that day I'm probably letting him swing you know and yeah you're running the risk of rolling into that double play and kind of killing your inning but you know if he, I mean if he's got a good beat on the ball and he's really been swinging a hot bat that day I think I'm gonna let him ride but uh, you know every single guy that's ever played for me knows that I don't care who you are I don't care what position you're hitting in and if they're if you're in a spot where a bunt helps the team, you're probably laying one down and I've, you know, I've gone as far with some of my summer teams that I had in the past of saying, you know, if I give you a bunt and you either half ass it or you don't do it, 
I will call a bunt until you get one down. Because at that point, like, it's not about winning. It's about the team and it's about growing you as a player. Right. And some, some of my best hitters have also always been my best bunters because they take pride in stuff like that. Right. Um, you know, I used to start all of my practices the first 10 minutes that we were in the cages uh, in new era, when they put the addition on and had the iron mics, we went on and all we did for the first 10 minutes, we turned the iron mics on and they laid bunts down to the hoppers were empty and any ball that went foul or went up off the bat, they counted and it cost them laps on the infield when we went to start our infield practice. And the first day we did it, every one that went up or foul was worth two laps. They did 180 laps that day. Yeah, I'll be, see, I'll be damned if week two they only did sixty, and the week after that it was down to like ten. Because right, they get it. See, that's the thing when they understand that, um, you know, there, there's a somewhere against the, the penalty to be paid. There, it's not really a penalty, but you know, in the game when you fail, especially in baseball, when you fail, there's something at stake. You can't just pat yourself on the chest and be like, "My bad." If if something needed to get done, that if you had practiced it either to the full of your potential or, you know, with solid repetition, you put a, could have been successful in that situation. Um, so I, I don't know that I know in college practices, um, regardless of whether I was at uh, Finger Lakes, you know, at the Juco level or at Hilbert or now at, at Duville, we don't have that luxury of time to have to run through iron mics because our time is limited these kids got to go to class. So we get done what we can, but I can tell you with certainty that there is a bunting component to our BP when we're doing it. We, we don't do BP every day because we just can't, we have to do defensive work in our time slot. Pitchers got to get their work in. But when we do some BP, there is a bunting component to it. Uh, I can tell you a time when um, a big guy was called on the bunt. I it was, we were at, um, it was at St. Mary's and um, there was a, my son was hitting third leadoff double. I think it was Schneider, Matt Schneider hit a leadoff double. And it, I mean, the wheels were going and I could, I knew Gresh was going to have to bunt. And it was funny. Wags walked over to him. He, he, he said, I have to, I could see him with his throwing his hands up like, Gresh, buddy, I got to do it. All right. Now, my son had already hit a double earlier in the game. Like, you, and you know, my son can hit. But I'm, the purpose of the point is he got it down. He got the yeah. bunt down, scored the run, and Mitch DePiro got the hit the first pitch for a base hit, and we won. You know, if it, it's, it's, it's amazing how um, those things can, when they go right and the player executes his job, how it gets everyone else motivated. Um, so, and, and the reason I ask about, runners on first and second, you know, what, ha what happens typically is the, either you're going to steal those guys or and possibly take the bat out of third, um, your three hitters hands, or you give up the out uh, on the bunt, but you also, uh, let's say they pitch him tough and run it in and he tries to bunt two times. Now it's Oh, two. Now you've got your three hitter in a hole and, and, you know, there's not that. High percentage of hitters, even though they're good jumping from having to sacrifice bunt here and then get ready to get in swing mode, because chances are you got a couple off speed coming back to back 
before you get another hittable pitch. So it's tough. And that, that will always be up for debate. And it's to each coach's uh, preference. And again, like you said, the situation um, on that. So, but so yeah. that debate will continue long past our time. Buddy. <laughs> Absolutely. And you, you know, it's funny you bring it up because so uh, when I woke up for work the other day and I saw the, the, the Twitter exchange, that kind of started this topic. Um, I, I was unaware that uh, it had happened in a college, a televised college game. And that was kind of the basis of debate. And my comment to it was, you know, um, it was the very first year that Lancaster, it was 2012, Lancaster won their first section six championship. And we faced Mark Armstrong in the semis. And I mean, you know, army, you've seen him play, you, you know, yep. big, big, he was a catcher that they realized had a cannon and they put him on the mound. And he would, when he was a junior, he was sitting 90, 91. And it was absolutely disgusting. And we ended up beating him four to one in a semifinal game with, we put down, we got a walk. We put down a bunt to get that guy over. Um, the, the, when they went to make a play in the ball, the ball ended up in right field. So the guy who was on first scored the guy who was on at the plate ended up actually on third because when a guy who throws 91 throws the ball into right field, it goes. Yeah, true. So, <laughs> so we ended up squeezing in the next run um, and they got the out at first there. That was, so that was two runs there. We ended up getting a similar situation where the, you know, we got a, we got a guy on first on, I believe on another walk. And we went to bunt him over. Same thing. Ball went to right field. The guy on first ended up scoring. The guy who bunted it ended up on second. And because the, the right fielder was a little bit more shaded over and stopped the ball from going so far. So that dude ended up on second. And then uh, my center fielder, Teddy Wilson, who ended up going to college, to, uh, he went to Clarkson as a PO, hit like 650 lifetime against Armstrong, just saw him well for whatever reason, and just punched a ball to right field and scored another run for us. That was our four runs. And without those bunts, we don't score any of those runs because right. yeah, I mean, our, I, he, I, I think Armstrong, maybe, maybe two hit us, if not one and lost a game four to one because we, we were able to put bunts down and, and put pressure on a defense. Yep. Absolutely. So those are situations where it's appropriate. Um, and I guess we can use Armstrong as an example to, to our next topic. Um, I remember seeing Armstrong obviously a few times. Uh, then I saw a couple arms when I was at Finger Lakes, Christian Young being the one, um, saw it up close and personal. There is a factor when uh, there's a velocity that the umpires are not used to seeing. Okay? And I'm not calling out umpires by this comment. I'm just saying that when there's a velocity that they're not used to seeing um, and, and they know the guy's got some something behind him. They hear about Armstrong and hear about Christian Young, who uh, was potentially a draft guy and committed to West Virginia. Um, they end up getting calls, you know, a ball two or two wits off the plate. It's a strike if the umpire calls it, but if the guy's already throwing 90 plus and it's a strike, you're putting hitters already in, in a deeper hole. Uh, again, unless there's someone who can see that um, pitcher well, uh, but if you've got, let's say, an SEC or an ACC umpire calling some of those games, two ball widths off the plate, it's 50-50. It could very well be a ball. 
And if the pitcher isn't commanding that velocity and being able to put it where the umpire is going to call a strike, four of those in a row or four of those out of five pitches is going to be a walk. Yep. So that's where we, we break into that, to that uh, topic of command versus velocity. Um, you know, I'll let your, you make your comments first and then I'll, I'll, I'll go after. So I, I, this is one of those things for me that I think you see a lot of guys focus on one or the other. And there's, there's, you know, training programs out there now that never existed back in the day, or maybe they did, but they weren't as well known. Uh, thanks to social media and just the world, the techno technological world that we live in, um, that a lot of these guys harp on velo, 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 velo. And, you know, I, I, I put a thing out a couple of weeks ago and it said, let's dive into the pitching version of the chicken and the egg. What's more important at an early age, velo or location? And it's one of those things that, you know, there's, there's two sides of the argument. It's, well, I don't care if you throw 99 miles an hour, if you couldn't hit a broadside of a barn from five feet away. And the other side of it, well, I don't care how accurate you are. If you throw, you know, depending on your, the age, 50, 60, 70, 80 miles an hour, or one of my favorite terms that people use, you know, 80 poo quote unquote. And you know, that's absolutely right. Like there's, there's some extent you need that velocity at your age to get by, or you need to be able to, as you know, as, as they say in a, you know, to, to knock a dime, like they say in the shooting world, you know, you need to be able to hit a dime every time you throw, or you're not going to make it. Um, not agree more. You know, it's, it, so it's one of those things that uh, when, when you have kids that have that live arm naturally, it's a bonus, but a lot of times you see those kids get away with just rearing back and throwing the ball past people until they start playing guys that are a little bit better or maybe a couple, a year or two older than they are. You know, you, you tend to see that jump in high school and in college, you know, you're not playing. I'm the second oldest guy on my team playing other teams that are my age. You know, I'm, I'm a, I'm a young junior now pitching against a D one commit senior who's 18 and going to Vanderbilt. And he just hit my fastball that I've been able to throw by people my whole life, 420 feet. And you know, that ends up being demoralizing for the guy who's been, who's been the man on the Hill throwing, throwing 91. And then it gets turned around. Um, there goes his confidence. And that's when uh, floodgates could open, but I couldn't agree with you more uh, for years on Twitter, a friend of mine, Dustin Pease uh, at location nation. Uh, that's been his mission uh, since he, since he jumped on, uh, this is a guy who pitched professionally and topped out at 87, 88, 89. He may have touched 90 or to show that first command of each pitch, being able to throw it where you want in whatever situation is, is important. Uh, then the velocity will come with whatever the body will allow. Uh, and we, you know, prep for today, I shared with you the video since you mentioned Vanderbilt, Jack Leiter, uh, son of uh, Al Leiter, three championship rings and, uh, and a no hitter in an era where a guy throwing 92 was not the norm. And I don't know what Al Leiter's velo was, but he pitched in the big leagues for a long time and had a very successful career because he hit his locations and he had obviously had some, some get up on his fastball, 
But again, I don't think he was throwing what his son's throwing. His son hit the radar gun 98, 99. I think the one clip was trips, but he put it on the black. Yeah. You know, you know, a, a, a talented hitter might be able to put that ball in play. Uh, your professional hitters are going to do that. We, we saw that uh, when Araldis Chapman was up there. Knowing a fastball was coming or not, Altuve turned around a fastball. I think it was a was 103, 105, whatever it was. It can still be hit if it's not located well. So uh, you and I are on the same page there. And again, shout out to my man, Dustin Pease at Location Nation. Uh, I, I think a player has to learn command of each pitch early on. You know, we see images of that young farm boy who's out. What's tied to a tree and what's he throwing through it? A, a, a tire is tied to a tree and he's throwing a football or a baseball through it to learn command. Yeah. All right. And uh, that particular art is lost. I think nowadays, again, with the push for velocity and, and this is not a knock on needing velocity. Uh, and, you know, so listeners should not take that to mean that we're not we're interested in velocity because certain velocities aren't going to play well at certain levels. All right. Um, you know, a guy throwing 75, he can probably compete at a division three, four, four year school. But I can tell you that 75 wasn't going to be a, a conference starter at a Juco D3. Likewise, 75 is, may not play well. And now that I'm at division two uh, and haven't seen it when I was at Clarion before, uh, Colin McKee, I remember Colin, Colin McKee gassed it up, um, you know, sitting low 90s, but also had a changeup to go with it. So you're going to tell a you know a guy to get up in the box, okay, you got to get ready for, you know, 92, 93, that's going to be with run, uh, but also watch out for the changeup. Um, <laughs> okay. But if a guy's throwing, you know, 85, 86, okay, you can get to that and still um, not be totally fooled on a change if, if you know what you're doing. But that extra, when you get up um, north of 90, um, then there's problems. But point is, not everyone is going to be able to throw that. Uh, if the body, and again, if you look at the the clip on Twitter of Jack Leiter, he's he's six five something. He's a tall, lanky kid, and so he's got that gas behind it. But I'm sure uh, Al Leiter, his dad, taught him about command when he was little. That's my theory. I don't know if they want to, you know, Al Leiter. If he listens to this <laughs> podcast, he can get back in touch with me. But um, and again, velo is also important for the recruiting component. Like I said, certain velos aren't going to play at certain levels. And if you're throwing 80, um, there's not many D1s that are going to come knocking on your door. And you're right. certainly not going to be looked at for a potential draft guy. But if you're throwing 95, you're going to get some looks. But your ticket home is going to be if you can't throw strikes. So that proves that point. You know, and like it's interesting when you talk velo. I mean, I remember 10 years ago when I started coaching varsity baseball. You know, I had a, a sophomore, a junior, a sophomore, and a freshman that that first year that we made that run, and we ended up uh, beating Armstrong and going on to win our first sectional title. They were like it was uh, Teddy Wilson, Brian Steckel, and Joe Preziuso, who all through seventy six, seventy five in there. Teddy was a little bit slower than that. He was just coming off an injury uh, and back surgery, but you know. Teddy as a junior was a first team 
section six all-star and didn't throw a breaking ball. Two seam, four seam cutter changeup. And he had a sub one ERA on the season because he wow. could put the ball wherever he wanted it. It helped that he was six, two, six, three, and threw from a, a weird three quarter angle and a funky delivery. And, you know, had a, a stride that was so long. We had to actually rebuild our mounds at the high school to move the rubber back on the back of the mound because he would stride off of our, our, our wooden mounds that we pitch bullpens off of. <laughs> so it, it, it may have only been 72, 73, but it was only coming from 55. It was coming from, you know, 52 feet because he was right. so damn tall. Right. You know, by the time they were done, you know, Steckel was sitting probably 85 to 87. He went on to be a division one first baseman because he could hit the crap out of the ball. Uh, he ended up having a solid career over Canisius. Uh, so did Joe Preziuso. He was an, an infielder. Neither one of them pitched in college. Uh, Teddy ended up, like I said, going on to pitch, pitch at Clarkson. And he ended up dropping to a low, a, a low, almost submarine delivery by the time he was done. Um, you know, but you look at these kids and now I'm, I'm sitting here going like, I have two juniors right now that are both sitting at 85. And those are the two that I know about. You know, I have, I had two freshmen come to tryouts hitting 80 last year. For the one week that we had that we had stuff, I had guys hitting 80. And I like one of the things I have to harp on these kids because everyone harps velo. And yes, how velo abs you absolutely need velo if you want to play to a certain level. But if that if that eight, you know, if you're a freshman throwing 80, you're gonna get away with it playing freshman baseball. You're gonna get away with it playing, even playing JV. But you need to be able to throw something else, first and foremost, and be able to put the ball where you want it. Or you're going to get torched. And I, when I look at a kid who's a freshman and he's touching 80, I'm, I'm going to get other high school coaches that hear this and say, a freshman touching 80 is on my varsity team and one of my top three starters. And I'm going, I can't do that because Orchard Park is going to eat that kid alive because Clarence is going to eat that kid alive. North is going to eat that kid alive unless he can do more with the baseball. So location has to play. You know, if, if I call a fastball on the outside corner because I see this kid is on the, you know, is on the plate in a dead pull hitter and you put it in his wheelhouse, it's not coming back. Right. Or if there's no fences, you're going to keep on rolling. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Because now a lot of schools and they crank them up because they have to be ready. Why? Because there's the, uh, dream of playing D1. So guys know they need to learn to hit below. So uh, they're doing bat speed training uh, with weighted bats, whatever it mixes, um, you know, light bat, heavy bat, that combination. So uh, exit velos are increasing, bat speeds are, are getting up there so guys can handle better velocity. And quite honestly, I, you, I've been to a number of tournaments um, as you have, you know, we you face a guy throwing soft for four innings you're like, you're down four or five runs because you can't play anything because everyone's popping up or rolling over and can't can't barrel up the slower stuff. However, that kid shouldn't expect to again have Vanderbilt calling him, saying, "Hey, you throw you throw a nice seventy-five mile an hour fastball. We think it'll play well here uh, at Vanderbilt." That's not happening, but it can be successful, and you can have a great, uh, you know, summer league. Uh, career and, and go on to play uh, college baseball if you choose and, and have a decent career if you can locate uh, but you if you don't have that velocity again it's all about what your potentials are so you keep training 
uh, pitchers out there that are listening to this, keep training. Protect your arm. Don't blow out your arm with heavy balls just for the sake of trying to throw 90 because you might suffer an injury that will prevent you from throwing ever again. Yeah. Um, so just be careful out there, uh, but understand that command is one thing. You have to be able to throw all your pitches, four strikes, and like you said, hit a dime. Yeah, I mean, and I, I had a kid uh, two, two years ago now. Um, he was actually a guest on the show, and we actually talked about this exact topic. He, he was a lefty, he threw hard. Um, and, you know, he was that kid that is coming into me as a junior. He had never really had to really work much off speed, and he just always kind of reared back and threw the ball. And he, we, we, ended, up, he ended, we ended up starting him against Orchard Park. Um, and they were a very, very good hitting team as they always are. And he got through the first inning, you know, one, two, three was fired up, was absolutely just, you know, on another level gassed up. And he was able to fool people with, a, you know, with, with a slider and got his change up to work a couple times. And he didn't make it out of the second inning because he went out, couldn't get anything over the plate other than a fastball. When it did, it was, you know, between the, between the thigh boards and the belly button and somewhere down the middle third. And it, it was, it was a long day for him. Um, and we talked about it ever since And he's to this day, you know, still working on really grinding on those off-speed pitches. Uh, he's uh, currently playing at a Juco and, you know, the other thing that he says that he wishes he would have done. And I, you know, this is one of the things I hear a lot, especially from, from pitchers. I wish I would have lifted more. I wish I would have gotten stronger earlier. I wish I would have dedicated myself to the weight room. Um, and that's, that's something that, and if you follow me, my personal account or the tip of the cap account on Twitter, uh, you know, for the people listening, if you follow me on that, I harp on that stuff. I harp on the, you know, get bigger, get stronger, get faster, you know, get, get in the weight room lift because getting stronger is never going to be a bad thing. You're right. Uh, that helps protect against injury. There's more muscle mass around the vulnerable areas that um, can minimize injury uh, and, and I know you work with PBR. Uh, Dan Savit's a perfect example of that. Um, you know, I met Dan in the early stages of PBR, and you know, specimen. This dude looked like he was a pro ball player. I mean, he's he's six two, six three, maybe six four. Yeah. Tall guy, athletic. You could see strong guy. You know, we're in the middle of summer, so we're not covered up by hoodies and whatnot. But uh, you could see he's, he had it. Uh, and then you've seen him of late in his training regimen with his yearly quest to see what he can hit uh, on, on the uh, radar gun, but he's working out, he's yeah. lifting, he's getting after it. Uh, so guys absolutely need to, to get back in the weight room. Uh, you know, one of the things that we tell pitchers, you know, they have to have endurance. They're not running sprints, but they have to have endurance. So, you know, but you can't spend the time with you with them when you need to craft or, or tweak something about their mechanics while they're running for 30 minutes. You don't, you're not going to waste that time. And, and, you know, college kids might put forth the effort to get in running separately. Those who really get after it, they'll be out running. Um, that's one way to, to do endurance. But the another aspect is lift because then you have a stronger base. Uh, and then you have a stronger upper body. Again, that can minimize an injury if you, you know, maybe land awkwardly or your arms out of slot, whatever it may be. And you, you, you can, again, mitigate the risk of injury. Right. And, you know, the, the other thing is that the, it, 
the more and more you look into it, the more you find that, you know, throwing weight around and, you know, iron therapy, as I call it, or metal therapy is, you know, it, it's linked to, you know, throwing harder. It's, it's hard to, it's hard to do things hard when you yourself are not hard. Um, you know, when you're, when you're, you can't do things strong if you're weak. And that's one right. of the things that guys, you know, are more and more getting into. And I was actually talking to a couple of my high school guys yesterday about it, you know, about the, you know, the, there are still guys out there that are against the, you know, heavier lifts or Olympic lifts and stuff like that. And, you know, I, you know, after many, many conversations with a good friend of both of ours uh, in Charlie over at full circuit, you know, how, how do you not want to be the strongest guy in the field? Like, and how do you, how do you become the strongest guy in the field by, by training, like some of the strongest human beings on the planet? Are there, right. modifi- are there modifications for it for our sport? Absolutely. Yep. But should you avoid the bench press because, you know, that's it's something that, you know, could potentially hurt you? No. Do it right. Do it with the proper programming and you're going to be fine. Right. So, you know, and then there's and also that- the training. I'm sorry, the uh, fast twitch training, which builds strength, but the fast twitch muscles need to be trained quickly. So you lower the weight a little bit. You're not talking about doing five pounds, but you're going to lower the uh, weight a little bit to train the fast twitch muscles so you can do quick reps. Uh, all that adds to the overall strength of, a, of an individual. Absolutely. You know, and that's, it, it's one of those things that I think, you know, it's a lot of kind of what we talked about is kind of crossing the idea of um, what you might consider old man baseball Twitter from what I've seen some people call it. Um, versus the new guard, the game, the game is changing. The game is growing. And, you know, I, I remember growing up, you know, actually right around the time I met you, I had just gotten done with, uh, playing, playing college football and was getting ready. You know, I was, was getting in the cages and my first time out, out of the cages after football season was always ugly. Cause I was tight. I was boxed out and everything was just super tight across my chest. And it took me probably three half hour cage sessions to get loose and get through it, get through the ball again. And, it, you know, I, I was one of the people like, oh, it's because I was benching for uh, for football and it had nothing to do with benching for football. It's how I was benching and the fact that I wasn't trying to stay flexible on top of it. And, you know, that's that's one of the things you hear like, oh, you know, especially pitchers shouldn't bench press. Baseball players shouldn't bench press. They should dumbbell press. Well, yes and no. You know, it, you're, you're going to get stronger. You're going to, you know, build strength across the body with a bench press. And you can supplement that with some dumbbell press to keep the flexibility. Oh, and then you mix in other cool ways to do, you know, fast twitch and stability training. And you're now a complete athlete who's a lot stronger than the guy who walked in the first day. You need to take a look at Giancarlo Stanton. Um, You know, (laughs) I bet he bench presses along the way. So if only going to argue about uh, the detriments of bench pressing, uh, he's going to beg to differ. Uh, there was a tweet last week, I think, um, from last year, there were six baseballs hit with an exit velo of 115 or more. He had three of them. Uh, so it, it just goes to show you that, that weight training aspect benefits every, every player when you train correctly. Yeah. And I mean, you, like, look at, look at pictures of, of Stanton. He's shredded. The dude is absolutely shredded. It's insane. You know, you watch, like, you look at a guy like Judge. He's not just, I don't want to word, use the word doughy, but, I mean, that that would be the word. He's not just some 
tall kind of put together guy. He like these guys are in phenomenal shape. And you don't you don't do that from just hanging out and throwing and swinging. You know, you, you do right. that in the weight room. You do that in you know, in the, in the in the church of iron as it's called amongst the fitness people in the world. Um but I mean it, it's it's an interesting thing and you know things like that can help with the velocity side of it and then what you do on the mound is going to be what what and how you figure out the location side of things. Absolutely. I, uh, I have one interesting story for you that actually just popped into my head. Uh, and it's actually dialing back to our bunt conversation. Okay. So in that same league that me and you played in together, um, the first year that my team, uh, having taken, I took over for Chuck Rigetti running the team new era team. And the, it was our third, third year in the league with me running it and our first trip to the finals. Uh, we had worked to game three and we were in a tight one run ball game. Um, my, the guy that hit in front of me, one of my best friends got on first and me and him had a, had a signal to each other where to try to catch a team sleeping, we were going to run the offensive wheel. He was going to take off on the pitch and I was going to lay the bunt down. He was going to try to go first to third, knowing that they were just going to get me at first. Like knowing that they were, all right, get the big guy at first, whatever. And he was going to try to take two bags on it. Uh, He was deceptively quick for his size. And it was one of those things that, you know, we, we looked at it. We were in a, we were in a one run ball game. I think we may have actually been chasing a run or we were either chasing one or we were up one and it, it was tight. And that game could have blown up either way that the lineup we were facing had, uh, Jeremy Nowak and Kevin Nowak on it, who were both damn good ball players. <laughs> oh my goodness! Yes. Uh, like and and like that was that was their like three or like or like their four and seven hitter, which tells you who's hitting around them. Like yeah, these yeah. guys were good, and here we are, you know, a, a bunch of dudes just scrapping with these guys, and on a great run that we were on that year. And my boy looks at me, and our our signal for it was the hang ten thing. So I look up at him and he just, and I knew it was coming. He gives it to me and I'm like, all right, here we go. And this dude winds up and it's, it's a pitcher that I loved hitting against. I hit, I hit a bomb on this dude once a game. Every time I hit, every time I faced him, it was one of those dudes, whatever it was, I just saw the ball in his hand and I took him deep once a game. And I'm like, this might be my shot to hit a two run shot and help put this game away. But my boy wants it. So let's do it. Bunt down the first baseline. I'm, I'm hauling. He's hauling. He goes to scoop the ball and either try to tag me or put shovel it to first and shovels it into foul territory. I'm safe at first. My buddy is safe at third pinch run me steal second intentional walk base clearing double ball game. And we ended up winning by like six or seven runs that day. And it, it, it swung a game, a game that was tight, a game that, I mean, with that lineup, one swing of the bat could have put us in a world of hurt. And, you know, putting down a bunt by a, a, a big dude who, you know, normally you wouldn't consider bunting changed the tide of the game. And it led to a seven or eight run inning because and I, I ended up seeing in that Twitter conversation, the the point of like, oh, you know, bunting in college baseball. Yeah, but they didn't score a run. Okay. I remember that. Okay. Like, that's the chance you take. You know, you could do a hit and run and line into a double play. They didn't score a run. It was a dumb move. Well, but if it worked, it wasn't. You know, it's you know, or you could not put it on, and yeah, or you could not put it on and hit into a double play instead of a line on a you know line out double play on a hit and run. 
if you don't put it on, and let's say the guy doesn't have wheels, but he's not a base dealer, if you don't put him in motion, you want to bunt him over, but the guy doesn't get it down, or you don't bunt, and then it's a double play, and then it's like, oh, well, I should have bunted. Well, again, that's where we're talking about everything has its uh, has its place. Uh, early on in the game, not going to do it. If your boy was on first at that moment, <laughs> and, you know, go ahead, take your shot at hitting the bomb right there. Yeah, and I mean that's that's one of those things too, and that's you know having a feel for the game, the flow, what's going on, you know. And, and again, it's easy to Monday morning quarterback. You know, we can all sit here and watch things, and you know, oh, why would you take that guy out? He was grooving, or you know, oh, you left him in two innings, or and, you know, half inning too long, or whatever it might be. And you know, it's it's easy to sit there and say it after it doesn't work. You know, but at the same token, we you can't Monday morning quarterback the stuff that does work because it worked. And if they, you know, laying down that bunt led to a couple runs and they end up taking a lead, whatever it might be, like, we're not sitting here having this conversation. You know, maybe we are, but it's a little bit different. You know, right. the, the conversation about it on Twitter was different. So, you know. It, that that I, goes I, for any aspect of the game, though. You know, should you have taken a guy out? Because he was dealing, but, you know, it's, you know, if he pitches, if he throws four or less you can come back on short rest and throw against sunday or even saturday if you need them but you know you should beat this non-conference component to be good for morale and you leave him in and then he gets shelled so now you've burned him you lost and then you don't have him for either of your weekend series conference series so there's always you can always second guess you can only you make your decision have a reason for it and then live with what happens and learn from it if you think you should have done it otherwise. I know I've been in a lot of those situations with, with, with full circuit being the head coach, you know, Hey, do we bunt here? And I'm like, let these kids play. They're, they're 15. Let them play. Right. I, I'm, baseball strategy doesn't need to be here right now, you know, in, in your pool games. Now if we're trying to win the championship. Okay. Then that's going to be different. Cause again, that's the situation where, it needs to come up. Absolutely. And, you know, and that, and that can be said about, you know, I mean, we, you know, even at the high school works, we play our non-league games and stuff a little bit different than some teams do. Like, we'll, you know, we'll talk to people and say like, Hey, listen, like, we're like, we're going to try stuff. We're going to run some things like, cause we're not going to see you in the postseason. You're not, you know, you're, in a, you're not a league opponent. So we might try a play we've never tried before. We might try it. If we get in a situation like, you know, we might be up seven, down seven, whatever. And, you know, we might try to have a guy bunt who like might come up in that situation in a game that matters. So we want to know he can do it. And the best way to do it is to try it now. Um, you know, and I'm a per, you know, per example, we, we played a non our first ever non-league game of the year, a couple of years back. And I rolled a different pitcher every inning because I wanted to see what these kids had. And the other team, the team we played, kept the same kid in for an entire game in 30 degree weather, and they beat us. And it, and great, awesome, good for you. But I like that win doesn't matter because I want to win the one at the end, not the first one. Invaluable, valuable experience for the guys throwing in cold weather. Each of them got an inning. What if it comes down to you know you're you're at uh, a playoff, uh, but you got a starter available and you need him to heat up quick. Well, if he threw that one inning in 30-degree weather and he knew how to get ready for that, you can have him get ready again to come in and throw one inning 
in relief if you needed to, if it was a bridge guy, whatever it was. But th those experiences along the way with the foresight of thinking, all right, we're going to try this now for the greater good. And this, again, we all want to win. We don't do this to, to lose, but there are times when you need to think long-term and running out a different pitcher every inning. Um, it was a great idea, and I've seen it. I've done it myself. Uh, I've seen it done. Um, it's just, again, another aspect of having the foresight and long-term thinking as opposed to just getting a W when not much is at stake, at stake for that particular game. You know, and I, I like to look at it too that, you know, what's at stake may not be what you think. It may not be the win or the loss of that game, especially in that type of situation. It might be, hey, you know what? That kid ended up in a situation where he faced the three, four, five hitters of a solid team and did really well. Like maybe, you know what? I, I didn't think just, just seeing him in bullpens, it looked like he struggled a little bit, but man, that kid's a gamer. You know, you, you, like that, that to me is uh, a, a bigger win in that situation than, uh, you know what? I left a guy in because he was mowing him down and we, we took the W and, you know, a game that's not going to matter. But, you know, now that kids, because it's super cold, it was, it was really cold out. And it was, you know, kind of crappy. Like, and, uh, now he's going to be sore for a week because, of, you know, the weather takes a toll on your body too. Yep. And, you know, now I don't get to see the three other kids. Oh, and we have two league games this weekend or, you know, we're going to Florida where I'm going to need these kids all healthy and ready to go. So maybe throwing three, four, seven innings in one game isn't the best thing for the team. Right. And that's, and that's also some... something to that, you know, it's tough to always make, you know, high school kids understand because, well, coach, we could have won. Did, did it matter though? Like, I'm not, I'm not one to just give up W's by any means, but. No, I hear you. I hear you. And again, you're, so you mentioned Florida trip. Um, I remember my last year at Finger Lakes was 2019. Uh, and that was a, it was a mixed emotion type thing because we we had the aspirations, high aspirations because we had Tanner Cooper. We had a loaded lineup. Um, you know, I knew it was my son's last year at Finger Lakes, uh, my potentially my last time coaching him at a collegiate level. Uh, things that's a lot of stuff going on. Um, but son got hurt stretching pregame. Uh, actually, a band slipped off his foot. While he was stretching with the J bands, hit him in his eye, so he was done for that trip. Cool. Um, and that was an unexpected loss for the team, and morale was kind of deflated. Um, but to add to that, uh, Andy Zapsos went down, blew his hammy out, and was down for three weeks as well. And and you know, Marin, Coach Marin was kind of worried because we didn't win many games on that trip. And I said, coach, hey, listen, we got dealt, uh, you know, a bad hand down there. It's spring training. They're, they're in the one loss record, but it's spring training. They'll be back. They'll be ready. Because, you know, we had, we had some talented guys there. And, again, with that year we ended up uh, in the championship game for Region 3. Um lost to Herkimer because they out hit us. But bottom line is you, you think ahead in, in games that don't have a true impact in your ultimate goal, which is to get to regionals or the playoffs. Um, 
If they're not going to impact that game, that's when you try things out to your point. Absolutely. You know, that's, and that's, that's something I love to see. And we know there's a couple, couple schools locally that we play that do the same thing. And, you know, we'll, we'll play the, Hey, we're going to hit 10 guys and kind of roll guys through and see what we got. Like, you know, this, cause a lot of times, you know, when we play those games, it's our first time outside, you know, it's our first time on a diamond. Um, you know, like we're, we're fortunate enough to have the field house at Lancaster, but you know, it's not the same. You're hitting ground balls off tile and you know, it not, it's not grass. It's not dirt. It's not turf. So you know, a lot of times it's it's the first time we're seeing these guys at a full length field. For our outfielders, it's the first time seeing the ball in the air, and you know, just kind of figuring out where we are and what we're doing. So it's it's always an interesting take at the start of the year. But indeed, great story about you know. So teams that play in the Northeast, you know, prior to always, you know, um, good time. Look for. care if it was in the parking lot or if we had space at the facility where we were playing get out and hit fungos to outfielders because that was the first um first time yeah we uh we actually started uh last year they cleared they they cleared and repaved one of the parking lots that uh they moved the bus garage out of the district so there was a big open patch of, of uh blacktop and we we used to joke around we would take a picture and put it on twitter and say you know oh the lancaster turf field is ready and it's blacktop with yellow lines all over it but <laughs> you know and we, we had a bucket of balls specifically for it that would just get chewed all hell till we throw them out and then we find other ones that weren't great and you know you put those in play until they got chewed up and you know but it was it was the, anything we could do to just get the guys a to open their arms up you know to to, to be able to just kind of get into the ball a little bit and let it fly and to see it like you know, throws at almost full length as, as best we can and just see the ball fly off a bat for, for outfield drill, drills and stuff. And it's it's an interesting game up here, man. It really is. And it's it's going to be interesting for us this year with the later start in May. It might be, you know, this might be the first time that we do tryouts outside. Good for you guys. That's, that's going to be great. <clears throat> um, but sadly for, uh, for us college coaches, the dead period was extended to the end of May. Um, you know, and our, so our season's, Pretty much, you know, we get all the conference play in uh, in April, you know, a couple games before that. And then all of April, we get the conference games and maybe a week into May. Um, then we're, if, if you make it, you're playing to the end of May. But beyond that, if you if you aren't, you know, a regional team and you don't advance, now you got to sit down for a month before you can do anything, you know. And that's, and that's tough. That's, you know, that's just the you know, the nature of the world right now, unfortunately, but, you know, we, uh, I can tell you that we, I know we have a couple ideas in mind to kind of make it easier for teams to see, uh, see our guys. So uh, we got some things in the works for that. Hopefully they pan out, um, you know, whether it's actual live streams or recording our games and, you know, and, and putting them on a YouTube channel or whatever. We have a couple of things in the works that we've talked about to, to try to help you guys, you know, and, and you guys see our guys. Cause our goal, I mean, I, I put it out uh, not too long ago on Twitter. Uh, I quoted the Thunderwolves tweet saying that they have had 23 guys commit since March of last year. And my entire point is it's about getting guys to the next level period. And yep. when, you know, the wins are great. I I've always been a proponent that if you're doing things right and you're playing the game the right way, wins are a byproduct. Um, knock on wood. I've been very fortunate with that for my, my coaching career, 
but you know, my, I, I love seeing my guys, you know, and our guys from the high school guys that I do lessons with stuff like that. I like, I love seeing them in college. I love seeing them at the next level. And even if it's not in baseball, uh, I got, I was talking to a guy uh, the other day who wants to get into coaching. Um, I've, I've had guys that have gone on to be on crew teams that played college hockey, stuff like that. And like, they, you know, did, still keeping contact with those guys and saying like, Oh coach, like this happened. I remember what, you know, when I played for you, you told me this and that's, you know, and I, I love seeing that. And that, that to me is what it's about. You know, those, those are bigger than wins in my world. Well, to your point, um, you know, what we do as coaches and you hear the mantra across all the social platforms, we're doing more than just coaching baseball. We are prepping uh, these young men for the next stage of their lives and if you do it right, somewhere along the line, um, you know, a kid who has become a man is going to remember you and thank you for that. Um, I just had a player at Hilbert tell me that very thing. He said, not only did I help him on the baseball field, but he, I helped change his mentality toward life as well. Uh, and all of a sudden he wants to be a coach, uh, things of that sort. And that's not to pat myself on the back because my point is, the players that you have turned out in your time at Lancaster, you win because they're coached well. It's not just you, it's your entire coaching staff. And having guys come from programs with well-coached players, it, it translates to having good collegiate athletes uh, that can also compete. So uh, don't be afraid to pat yourself on the back. You guys run a good program there. Yeah, we, we definitely try. I can tell you that much. And, you know, we're, me, me and Mark, we, you know, we don't even like being in pictures with the team. Like, cause it's not about us. It's about them. It's about those kids, the hard work they put in the dedication they put in. And, you know, me and him have been become very good friends. Uh, and we have, we're fortunate enough to have a great staff underneath us with uh, Mark Anselon on JV, Jim Pujols on freshman. And, you know, prior, you know, and now it's, uh, we got, um, Petrus Binsky and Brian Seppi on our mod B team before that it was Austin Kelm. Uh, and he had a, uh, quite a, quite a large number of guys that came in and helped just out of the, the kind of, whether it was alumni with Corey Ford, um, you know, Neil Turvey popped in to help out when he could, uh, two years ago, Austin's last year with us before he ended up not being able to do it because of his job, you know, before that, um, Drew Balecki, you know, he was a great kid. He was a Clarence guy who came over, ended up taking our mod B team and they, you know, those kids loved him, um, you know, and, and even before that, you know, my, my very first couple of years with, you know, Chris County as our JV coach and uh, Brian Wild was in there for a minute. Uh, he was, and he was my modified coach way back in the day. Um, and Jamie Pernick, who was fantastic, who, you know, and, and those are guys that, you know, especially in that seventh and eighth grade era, that's, that, that's a huge year for us. Cause that's a year that those kids could decide to go to St. Mary's. They could decide to go to Joe's or Franny's or Canisius and you know having having guys there that you know these kids like and these kids have fun with and that's their first taste of Lancaster baseball keeps them in Lancaster keeps them wanting to come and stay in our program and play for us and without those guys you know we we may not have ever had a Joe Preziuso because he may have gone to St. Mary's or Canisius or elsewhere I mean and you know we've we've been fortunate enough to have those guys help us all you know and when so when these kids get to us there's there's not a whole lot of grooming. They've already been, you know, kind of, kind of set on the path and they're ready for what they do when they get to us. Right. Hey, so that uh, one last thing before we have to wrap things up, um, I believe it was your comment earlier today that um, there was a player um, 
who was invited to a summer tryout and they asked about his high school coach and there was a negative comment. Can you, can you go ahead and state that better? Because I know it was your tweet, but go ahead and say it and, uh, and we'll so say it about that. Basically, what happened was one of, one of my guys basically told me that he went to a summer team tryout. He was wearing his Lancaster stuff. Uh, the coaches of that program asked if they knew specifically me. And when he said, yeah, they basically said that I was a jerk and an idiot and, you know, that type of thing. Um, and it was, I'm not surprised knowing who it was, but at the same time, like you would hope that that's not something that you put on kids and high school athletes. All right. Well, we'll keep everyone nameless in that scenario, but um, that's what I read from it. And that's, that's, one thing that really can't be done uh, at all. Uh, if you don't like what a coach is teaching, then don't have him play for that coach, but don't badmouth them because some people do this strictly for love of the game. You know, I do it for love of the game. I don't get paid. Um, you know, and, and quite honestly, when I was interviewed for the Uville spot, that's well, what were you looking for pay wise? And I'm like, uh, nothing. Um, if you have to pay me something, I'm going to throw it back to the program because I do it because I love the game. Uh, and I've been friends with you for a long time. I've been a teammate and also a coach with you. Um, so you and I can have a chat with those guys that want to badmouth you because, you know, I got your back. Um, but that shouldn't happen in this small Western New York baseball community. Uh, everyone has value. Uh, and it doesn't matter what level they play it at because you can make it to the highest level. But if you can't relate to the kids, then uh, and get them to compete without, you know, disliking the game, uh, things of that sort, you want them to play for you. And where they play on a summer team, I'm going to be straight up, it doesn't really matter um, for, in a sense. And I was on another podcast for Figured Out Baseball. Uh, that will be airing, uh, I'm not sure when, but it was recorded earlier this month. We, as coaches, collegiate coaches, don't go to see a particular team play and say, hey, well, I'm going to see this team because I want to recruit all their players. That's not how it works. What happens is we look for players when we go to a showcase event where you know they have a one day with showcase and, and you see them hitting BP and fielding and all that, then they compete in games uh, throughout the weekend, or even if it's just a tournament style uh, where teams are playing against each other, uh, we're looking for talent. We can see that talent. Many of us get to uh, venues early without gear, make mental notes or actual written notes as to who's dogging it, who's got that pep in their step, uh, things of that sort. And it doesn't matter what team they're on. Um, However, teams, each of the travel teams, they coach a little bit differently. They have different training and things of that sort. But when you get to college, that's all, I don't want to say it's all going to change, but if we think you can fit, it's because of where you've been, your baseball instinct and talent at this point, will it fit within our program? And can I make enough adjustments or the needed adjustments to your swing or your pitching mechanics, whatever it may be, fielding, um, to, to help our team win. Uh, so it's, again, it's not about the program. Uh, 
and it just really shouldn't be bashing of various programs in this area. They all love the game and are all teaching guys. And that's really what the bottom line is. You know, and I, I, I will, I will say that I know why that was said, or at least I have an idea. Um, and all I can say to that is when one of my players asks my opinion on a team or a program, I'm going to be honest with them. Um, you know, and I'm, if they say, Hey, and I'm, you know, I'm going to use, I'm going to use full circuit because Charlie's a friend of mine. And they say, Hey, what do you think of full circuit? I can speak to what they do, what they offer and my opinions on it. Um, you know, and if I don't know outside, listen, I really don't know. Um, but I, I will not, I, I, I won't put my kids in a position to make an uninformed decision. If there's something I know, um, and you know, and that's just who I am. I'm, I'm, I'm an honest person. I don't, I don't lie. I don't flower things up. I don't beat around the bush and I'm not going to, I'm not going to withhold something because, you know, if I, if I know it to be true and I'm not, I, I don't speak on hearsay. I speak on what I personally know as fact. And some of those facts, I know people don't like that they come out, but it doesn't change the fact that they're true. So if I can make people aware of something, Hey, make your own decision, but be aware. And listen, if you go somewhere and you play on a program and I, I may not get along with everybody in the baseball world. And I've had my fair share of disagreements with a lot of guys. We all have, you know, whether it's a philosophy thing, whether it's a, a personality thing, whatever it might be, you know, I'm not going to look at a kid who says I'm playing for the, you know, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm playing for the, 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 the coach Gresham Superman. I'm not going to look and be like, oh, they suck. You shouldn't play for them. I've never said that. You know, and that has never been a thing that's come out of my mouth. However, the coach, what do you think of the, you know, coach Gresham's Superman summer team? Uh, you know, listen, I've, I've known, Co I've known coach for a long time, blah, 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 X, Y, Z, here we go. And that, that's the yeah. answer people get from me. And uh, sometimes people don't like essentially that's my, the way it should my be. truth. That's the way it should be. But to resort to, you know, the type of, of name calling and things, that was my point is that shouldn't happen. But if you don't like the program, then tell the kid that I don't like the program because of this aspect. Right. Uh, and that's where it should end. But it, you, again, you can't mislead a kid either. No. Um, and, and, and that's something you know, I, I coached, I coached within a full circuit program for years and, and quite honestly learned quite a bit from Charlie and he was instrumental in allowing and opening the door for me to become a college coach. Um, and, you know, so I know how things work there and um, but again, if I had a terrible time there, it doesn't mean I'm going to say anything bad about Charlie himself. I'll find a better way to say something negative about a program. And again, I've got nothing bad to say about full circuit. Right. Um, but if there was a program that I didn't think highly of, again, as a college coach, it doesn't matter. I don't care if I like the program or not, because if the kid can play ball and he's interested in playing for me, great. It, his program doesn't matter. That was my earlier point. Doesn't matter who you play for. Right. Uh, if you got skill, um, I want to know about it. Well, and you know, and my thing is too, if at the end of the day, my opinion is just that it's my opinion. You know, if you ask my opinion, I'm going to give it for, I'm going to give it to you. And if, you know, some people may not like that. I don't, I know I don't always like everybody else's opinion, but you know, that's, giving your opinion on something that you were asked for versus seeking somebody out to, for the sole purpose of talking ill, the way that that went down is, is wrong in my opinion. And I agree. like I said, that's, that, that's just something that, you know, really, 
really kind of like it was it was somewhat laughable when I heard it, uh, just because of some of the some of the things that have happened and been been had been said in the past. But it was something that was laughable. And I, I I shared it on my personal account because I don't want the tip of the cap account being tied to that type of thing. Um, you know, and I'll I'll settle my personal business my way and you know, so that's I, I do appreciate you all, you know, having my back. And like I said, I, you know, we've, we've been friends and teammates and colleagues for a long time now. And, you know, one of, one of the guys that, you know, we, we may not talk all that often, but when we do, you know, it's, it's like, it's like it was yesterday. So. It's just like we were in the parking lot after you were asked to bunt. <laughs> <laughs> and that is how we bring a show full circle, everybody. Absolutely. <laughs> All right, Gresh, I appreciate coming on. Anybody you want to give a shout out to? Anybody you want to, uh, you know, anything um, you want to plug? I, there's so many to thank for uh, being here. Coach McLean at, at Uville for uh, being receptive to, you know, my, you know, I applied for the position. I said, hey, you need help. Um, I want to give a, a shout out to Coach Fitry as well. When I told him I was leaving, uh, he understood why, but again, he also gave me that opportunity to get closer to home uh, and quite honestly told him that leaving Finger Lakes, although I didn't want to, because uh, we we were doing well there and again, just finished second in the region, uh, it was a decision to come closer to home. So, uh, but again, I appreciate Coach Fitchery and again, the, the times with Coach Marin and the crew at, at Finger Lakes is awesome. Um, also, quick shout to, um, although I didn't do a whole bunch at Clarion, um, you know, I did recruit a couple guys for them, and uh, they ended up having a good career at Clarion, so they got my start there. At least I knew I can recruit uh, productive D2 players. <laughs> uh, but again, and Charlie as well, um, and, and Charlie Full Circuit for helping out uh, in opening the doors for me, and, and uh, also Inferno Nuera. I didn't. I've, I've Neglected to mention them, uh, error of the mind, not the heart. Uh, they opened their doors uh, to me when, you know, my son started out there as just a, an eight-year-old travel kid. Um, you know, I said, hey, you know, I, I played college. I, I can get out there and help as well. And that started the travel coaching career, which, of course, then opened up the rest of the doors. So um, give a shout out to them as well. Absolutely. And that's uh... – Obviously, they gave me my starting coaching as a young 19-year-old hothead, and, you know, I wouldn't be sitting here having this conversation with, with you if it wasn't for them. And, you know, that's I told that story to a kid just the other day who was, you know, talking about getting into coaching and how I started and where I came from. And, you know, the, the one thing that I do want to finish up saying is, you know, anybody who's hearing this, do not, absolutely do not let anybody tell you that your value as a person in the, in the, in the game of baseball is solely dependent on the level that you played at. If absolutely, man, you know, and, and that's, that was one of the things that, you know, our conversation that he kind of, Oh, you know, I, I never, you know, I'm not playing in college. So, you know, I don't, I don't think, you know, that I, I would be, I'd be all that qualified. Cause I, you know, I only played through high school. I, I don't care, man. You know, a back injury took me off the field before I got to step foot, to step foot on the field for Fredonia. I've been a coach for, for 14 years. I, you know, and I, I learned from guys who knew well more than me, played more than me, played higher than me. And if you talk to people, open your mind and just learn from people who've been to different places than you've been, you can have any place in this game that you want. 
And that's, that's something I needed to get out there today to, to, to my listeners. Agreed, brother. Agreed. 100%. So like I said, Gresham, it was a pleasure having you, my man. I will, uh, it's been great catching up and I'm sure I'll be hearing from you all spring. We'll have to do it again. Absolutely. Hey, good luck this season, my friend. Yeah, you too. Thank you. Have a good one. You too. This is Generic American Sports Podcast Center. Hey guys, thanks for tuning in to another episode of Generic American Sports Host Podcast Thing. Today in sporting news, some things happened that were some stuff and some other things. Some statistical values to back up those things are this. As you can see, the thing I just said statistically did happen. Yo, wait a minute. I feel like I could listen to this show anywhere and be just as bored. Why am I listening to this stuff? You want a better sports experience from your podcast? Head over to Hats, Tats, and Stats on the BICBP radio network. Not generic, not boring, and a little out there sometimes. Tune in to Hats, Tats, and Stats on the BICBP radio network.